Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Well, happy Palm Sunday. How many of you know it's Palm Sunday? I asked somebody if they had their palms this morning, and they said they didn't have time to go to Florida and get their palms. So um, for me growing up, when it was Palm Sunday, we didn't have real palms. I grew up in northeastern Canada, and there's not a whole lot of palm trees up in northeastern Canada. But I remember that there were people in the church, they would make these palms, and I wish I kept them. And we would wave them. And I was like, what is that all about? See, Palm Sunday is the beginning of what's known around the world as Holy Week or Passion Week. You may have heard of that before. And it's the beginning of Jesus' final week on earth, the last week. And as he came in, people were hearing about him coming, and they would raise these palms, and they would wave them as Jesus came in, and they would even lay them on the ground, some of them laying their jackets on the ground as Jesus came in. What was happening here is they were giving Jesus a hero's welcome. See, his fame had spread, and they were talking about him, and they were expecting this hero to come in, this militant leader, this one who would once again restore Jerusalem to the place where they thought it should be. And shouting Hosanna in the Old Testament, it meant blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But now here in the New Testament, when they were shouting Hosanna, what they were shouting is deliver us. They were recognizing him as this militant leader. Our Savior is here, so Jesus, deliver us and deliver us now. And a lot of times Jesus would shy away from this because there's a lot of confusion about who he was. But now he's embracing it, saying, yes, the Savior is here, and I'm going to deliver you, but not in the way that you think. How many a lot of times you've, you've walked in deliverance, but not in the way that you thought it would be? This is what was happening. And Jesus' final week, as he prepared for Passover, it was an intense week. Every day he was in the temple teaching. Every day he was instructing. And the intensity, it kept building and building and building. And as his teaching intensified, also his criticism and his correction of religious leaders intensified. This was the week when Jesus cleansed the temple, where he spoke to the religious leaders and said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. Remember that. You've made it a den of thieves, but Jesus is saying, this is supposed to be a house of prayer where Jesus is prioritizing what it means. And all of this leads up to the Last Supper. How many of you have seen this painting of the Last Supper before? Leonardo da Vinci. Right? Probably one of the most famous paintings of the Last Supper. See, this is the last opportunity that Jesus would have to sit down with all of his disciples. Think about it. This is the last opportunity that he would have to sit down with all of them. And he takes this opportunity to eat with them because how many of you enjoy a good meal? But he also took this opportunity as a way to serve them, washing their feet, serving them, showing them the way of a servant. But he also told them and reminded them again that he would die. And even that one of the disciples around that table would betray him. A lot went into this. He also took this opportunity to remind them of the new covenant that we have through Jesus, through communion that we do every week and we're going to do at the end of the service today. A reminder that as often as you eat, remember what's about to happen. Remember what's about to happen, this new covenant that I have with you. 
And now today as we look at Mark chapter 14, and I invite you, if you have your Bibles or your phone or your tablet, or maybe you've memorized Mark chapter 14, let's look at Mark chapter 14 together. As we look at several things that happen because Jesus is now taking them from that upper room and he's leading them to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's preparing them. He's getting them ready. And along the way, he's doing several things. First of all, he's reminding them he's, and telling them that all of you will desert me. Think about that. You just had this wonderful meal. Jesus, he washed your feet. He served you. And along the way, he's looking at his team and he's saying, all of you will desert me. How many? All. And Jesus says, get ready for temptation. And he prepares them by saying, pray with me. But they fall asleep. As they're going and as they're in the garden, Jesus shows up, Judas betrays Jesus, and the guards arrest him. And Peter, because Peter's never found without action or without words, Peter tries to rise up against them and even draws his sword and cuts off the servant's ear. My teacher didn't have a flannel graph for that. I don't know. I thought it would have been pretty cool to put the ear back on. Okay? (laughs) But Jesus rebukes him and says, Peter, put away your sword. They arrest him. They beat him. The disciples scatter. But Peter follows Jesus to the courtyard. And then Peter is recognized. And we pick up the story in Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 66. Mark 14 Verse 66, follow along with me. It says, Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. And just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you are Galilean. This time, Peter swore. And he said, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And suddenly Jesus' words, they flashed through Peter's mind. When Jesus said, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. And he broke down and wept. Today we're going to be walking through the difficult journey that Peter walked through. That journey of recognizing who Jesus is, making that promise, Jesus, I will never deny you, only to find ourselves in denial and failing. How many of you have been there? You said, I will never fail you. I will be with you, whether it's with Jesus or maybe with a friend, I will always be there, only to find that you did the very thing that you said you would never do. You ever been there? Or is it just Canadians? I don't know. (laughs) This is a difficult journey. But as we look at this, We need to recognize that Jesus brings us through times of testing and trial, but they're for our good. And so very quickly this morning, I want us to look at several things. I want first of us, first of all, for us to look at that, first of all, Jesus prepares us. Preparation is very important. But the second thing that's identified is the other P word, which is play. How many of you enjoy playing? We love play. 
But often our play gets in the way of our preparation. We don't want to prepare. But we're going to end up this morning by talking about the plan. That God has a plan and God's plan for us, for all of us, for everybody, every human, is always about reconciliation. So we're going to look at the need to prepare. We need to prepare, but we're also going to look at play. Our play can get in our way every day, right? And then we're going to look at the plan because God always has a plan for reconciliation. So let's start with preparation. How many of you feel prepared this morning? You ready to go? That's four people. Put them in charge, okay? Preparation. Jesus always prepares us because every prize has a price. Every victory in life is preceded by a battle. There's no victory without a battle, is there? If there's no battle, you've not overcome anything. You've just kind of been there. You've just kind of occupied the place, right? So Jesus is preparing them. And this is one of the consistent threads all the way through Scripture is that God always prepares us. Now, why does God prepare us? Because he loves us. When you love somebody, you prepare them for what's going on. See, God has perfect knowledge of everything. He knows your past. He knows where you are right now. And he knows where he's leading you into the difficulty and the challenges that you're going to face. So God is always about preparing us because he loves us. Because this is what love does, right? This is what love does. Love prepares us because love, it sees our potential. And if you don't believe that God sees our potential, you've not been paying attention as we've talked about Peter. Because Peter had a lot of problems, just like a lot of us do. But Jesus saw his potential, and he was preparing to bring him out. But it's important to know that love, while it sees our potential, love does not ignore our flaws. Right? Love does not ignore our flaws. See, I had a wonderful mom growing up, and I still have a wonderful mom as I'm growing up still. Right? Mom is always there. But there was times in my life that mom would look at me and say, you're just such a beautiful little boy, Dwayne. Right? She talks to me the way I talk to my dog sometimes, right? You're such a little bitty baby. And we're walking all this way through, and she would encourage me. But I'll never forget one time when I came home, I was bullied at school by my estimation. And somebody said one of the worst things you can say to a little kid, and they called me a nerd. Now, I've learned to embrace my identity as a nerd, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm good with that now. But at that time, it was crushing. Someone said, you're just a nerd. And I went to my mom, and I was crying. And she said, little Dwayne, why are you crying? I said, mom, someone called me a nerd. And I was expecting her to come in and give me a cookie and a milk and just all these warm, fuzzy things. But instead, mom looked at me, and she said, well, if God made you to be a nerd, just be the best nerd you can be, Dwayne. Right? Because I had an awesome mom. She looked at me, and she knew what it was. And she didn't say being a nerd was wrong. She said, be the best you can be. There were other times when I went through that my mom was there to correct me. Because mom loved me, she encouraged me, but she was never slow to correct me. How many of you are glad for moms like that, for people in your life? You need that. If you're just looking at somebody all the time and saying how wonderful they are, how great they are, you're in a very shallow relationship. And that's what marketers do. You're awesome. Let me, tell you, let me sell you this awesome product. Let me give this to you. Marketers do that because they're trying to sell you that. Moms and dads, parents, aunts, uncles, guardian, however you are in a child's life, you encourage them, but you come in to prepare them because you love them. You want them to get ready. Because not everybody in life is going to look down at, at little Dwayne and say, you're such a wonderful little boy, Dwayne. That's not been my experience. You need to be prepared. You need to be aware of the things that are going in because love is out to see our weakness and to move us to healing and to strengthen us. And this is the role of God in our life, to heal us, to bring strength. But in order to see our weaknesses, we need a test. How many of you have ever had a test before? Is that an enjoyable experience for all of you? 
Well, maybe if you feel prepared going in, but tests, we often hate tests, but we need them. And Jesus here, he's preparing his disciples for the test, and he's bringing them to the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know what Gethsemane means? Gethsemane literally means oil press, oil press. Because see, Gethsemane, it was an olive grove where they grew olives. I love olives. I'm already planning my lunch right now, and I'm going to have some olives after all this, baby, okay? So coming in, it's an oil press, but in order to get oil out of an olive, what do you have to do? You got to crush it. You got to crush it. You got to put it in. Because see, the character of the olive is revealed as it is crushed. If the olive is too hard, that means it's immature. It's not ripe enough. It's not responsive to the press. There's not a whole lot of oil that's going to come out of that. If the olive is too soft, it's often overripe and even to the point of rotting. Do you want to put some rotten olive oil over your asparagus as, as you grill it this afternoon? No, you don't. I hope not. See, the press, it reveals the character. This is the same role that conflict plays in our life. When we are under pressure, when we go through hard times, it's that pressing that it reveals where we are. For some of us, in those areas, we may be too hard. There's pressure applied, but we're resisting it. We're not allowing it to be crushed. What that means is that we are immature. A hardened heart is an immature heart. Anybody say, ouch? How many of you have been there, okay? On the other side of it, sometimes we're too soft, and it's rotten. And what comes out is nothing you want to use. It's overripened. It's rotten. And there are areas of all of our lives, sometimes it's too hard. It's immature. Sometimes it's overripened. It's actually gotten rotted. It's never been used. It was meant to be used back here, and it got soft. This is what pressure does. So Jesus being the master teacher, he's trying to get his disciples ready for the revolution that's about to take place. And he prepares them for the test. And because he's an awesome teacher, he tells them everything that's going to be on the test. How many of you love it when the teacher comes in and says, it's going to be a big test today, everybody, and here's all the questions that's going to be there. And you're like, yes, finally a good teacher. He tells me all the questions. And here's what he says. He tells them going through, Jesus tells them, he's like, the son of man must die. That's a big problem for him. But he tells them again and again, the Son of Man must die. Secondly, question number two, or the answer rather, he says, you will be tempted. And he looks at Peter and says, Peter, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. I wouldn't say amen to that. I'd be scared. (laughs) But walking through, right? Walking through, I'd be like, man, some test. And then Jesus says, thirdly, he says, you know what? All of you, you're all going to run away and scatter. Jesus will die. You will be tempted. Satan has asked for you, Peter, to sift you like wheat, and you're all going to run away. Hallelujah. And then he he goes on further. He says, Peter, you will deny me three times. You will deny me three times. It's a rotten test so far. But I love how Jesus ends this. As he comes through and he says, and he, he gives them hope. I'm going to die. You're going to be tempted. You need to get ready and pray. You're all going to scatter. Peter, you've been asked to be sifted like wheat. But then he gives them hope. And he says that when I die, I'm going to rise again, and I'm going to meet you in Galilee. 
I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And what he says, he says this. He says, you will repent and you will come back to me because every test needs some hope. You need to walk into every test with some hope in your life. We need hope in every test. And Jesus says, you will repent and you will come back to me. And he looks to Peter and says, Peter, you will strengthen your brothers because you're going to be the rock that I called you to be. So in spite of all of this, you're going to repent and I'm going to see you in Galilee. This fills him with hope. See, Jesus, he never leaves us without hope. Here's all the difficult things. Here's the hope, but you need to get ready. And Jesus tells them to prepare for this by praying, by praying. Because you got to pray just to make it today. Nobody from the 90s, okay. I'll save my MC Hammer dance for later, okay? See, prayer is the gym. When we talk about praying, this is the gym where we get prepared, where we get strengthened. Jesus always prayed before he walked into a difficult situation. Have you noticed that? I asked my, my Sunday school teacher one time a question. Man, I asked, I asked her a lot of questions. I need to send her a big gift or something. But I asked her a lot of questions. One of the questions, I was like, why did Jesus pray? He's the son of God. Why did he need to pray? See, Jesus, he was modeling for us. He was showing us how to live, how to walk. He was showing us how to have communion with the Father. And this is what he prayed. When he said, he said, Peter, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Listen to what Jesus said after that, though. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And that's the same prayer that Jesus is praying over all of you. He's looking at all of you, whether it's Bob, Sally, whatever your name is. He's saying, you know what? Satan has asked it to sift you, but I've prayed for you. I am with you that your faith may not fail. This is a power that we have in prayer. Because see, Peter wanted to do what's right. When we look at the life of Peter, he wanted to do the right thing. How many of you have wanted to do the right things, but you struggle with it? He wanted to do the right thing. Because see, when Jesus was telling him this, he said, you know what? I'm not going to deny you. I'm ready to go with you to prison. I'm ready to die with you. But Jesus' instruction to him was to keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. And then Jesus said this. He said, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. body is so weak. See, what Jesus is telling us here is he's telling us that prayer does not just affect us spiritually, but prayer affects us even physically. Did you hear that? Prayer doesn't just affect us spiritually. Sometimes we think prayer is this big unknown thing that's out there, and it only affects us spiritually. It's only in our mind. But when we are praying the way that Jesus has called us to pray, it not only affects us spiritually, but the spiritual and the physical, they are connected. They are connected together, and it changes us physically. It changes us physically. Notice how Jesus, throughout this passage, he's singling Peter out. See, everyone left Christ. Everyone scattered. They all fulfilled the prophecy by Zechariah that Jesus quoted. But he's singling Peter out because Jesus was preparing him as the rock. See, Jesus called him the rock before he was a rock. And he's preparing him and he's singling him out for the future leader of the church, the leader of the disciples. And I think this is a word, as I was preparing this morning, I felt the Lord just speaking to me that he wants to speak this word to you, that some of you today, you're feeling singled out. Some of you in this place today, whether you're listening here or maybe you're listening online, 
Maybe you feel like God is singling you out. But I believe the Lord would say this to you, that he's not singling you out. He's preparing you. He's preparing you to come out. Because when the Lord focuses in on you and singles you out, it's never for the purpose of crushing you. See, Satan will always bring up all the bad things that you did and throw these weaknesses at you to destroy you. God singles you out to prepare you and said, if you will surrender to me, if you will embrace this process, I will prepare you to be who I've called you to be because this is who Peter is. This is who he's calling him to be. See, there's a bigger picture here going on that God sees. God is trying to move you through this. He's trying to coach you through it. And the big question in Peter's life is, Peter, who do you say that I am? It's that same question that Jesus asked him. And Peter is being tested now in the final week, the final days. And it comes down to, Peter, who do you believe me to be? Because see, how we answer this question, it determines everything about us. When we really believe who we say Jesus is, then why would I ever think that Jesus could fail? If I believe he's the son of God, the one who can move in my life, who can empower me, who can speak to me, who can guide me, who knows everything, that I just need to tune my ears to him, then why would I disobey Jesus? A lot of it comes back to who I say he is. This is our big question. Because see, to fulfill God's purpose, we need to embrace this preparation. We need to embrace being singled out by God when he comes in to pour into our life. But the problem is, a lot of times we jump out of the preparation because we want to do one of our favorite things. And one of our favorite things to do is what? Is to play. How many of you enjoy playing? Nobody enjoys playing here. All right. I enjoy playing. I don't often get to do it, but I enjoy playing. But we don't like the preparation sometimes. We we just want to be in the game. And by playing, I'm talking about you want to just do what you feel called to do. You want to just do what you think all this life is about. But see, this is the response of a child because to a child, all life is play. We know this with kids, right? If kids have one day when they're not playing with their friends, their whole world has come crashing down. Can I have a friend come over? Well, you've been with a friend six days this week, you know, it's a break, but I have nobody to play with. What am I going to do with my life? See, a child resists everything that gets in the way of play, including preparation. But our desire to only play and to not prepare for what God's called us to is a sign of immaturity. See, the mature person, the person who sees in the the future that God's calling them to, they embrace the preparation. They embrace that need to practice. They know that how we practice is how we play. If you've ever been on a sports team, if you've ever taken any kind of a music lesson, if you've ever gone to school and been in a class, what does a teacher do? They give you practice sheets in math. If you go to a piano lesson, they they monitor your practice. If you play for a sports team, you are in more practices than you ever are in games because how you practice is how you play. And we all agree it's important, whether it's in sports, music, or academics, but we all struggle with it. Why am I doing line drills? Why am I just taking all these free throws all the time? And for the disciples, they're like, why are we praying? We get it, prayer is important, but I'm tired and we fall asleep, just like all the disciples did. But see, failing to practice can result in failing to play. If we're not willing to practice, there's no game for us. Because here's why. 
You miss the practices. You don't know what to do. If you're coaching a team, are you going to put a kid in the game that was at the practices, don't, doesn't know the place, and they don't know what's going on? They haven't shown up. They haven't been there. And I think for sometimes we struggle with, why am I not in the game? Why am I not there? And God's saying, show up at the practices. Get ready. Listen to my voice. Let me prepare you. Let me get you ready. Because if you don't, you're going to struggle and quit. And if you need an example of the importance of a practice, just look at March Madness. How many March Madness fans we have out there? Any basketball fans, right? I picked the wrong illustration. Okay. All right. Well, March Madness is basketball. Basketball, people. Anybody? Okay. All right. Hockey. You like hockey? All right. I didn't pick that illustration. March Madness. This was probably some of the best basketball I've seen in a long time. I grew up, I love hockey, but I was a better basketball player than I was a hockey player, okay? I wasn't a great basketball player, but I was better than I was at a hockey. And I saw some of the best basketball this past season that I've seen in a long time. And one of the reasons, because a lot of the games, it came down to that last shot. It came down, it was the game that every commentator loves because you get to the end and you don't know who's going to win. It all comes down to that last shot. It comes down to that shot where that person is at the free throw line. And whether they make it or not determines who's going to win that game. But see, when you get to the free throw line in the game, do you have time to practice? You're like, hey, just give me a minute. I'm, I, I want to just do a few shots here. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The preparation is so important. See, this is why Peter denied Christ. When we look at the reason why Peter denied Jesus, it wasn't a lack of love. Peter loved Jesus. It wasn't a lack of commitment. Peter, he dropped his net. He left everything. And he said, even if these others abandon you, Jesus, I will never abandon you. I will be with you. And Peter knew the play. He knew the play that Jesus must die. Jesus said this over and over and over with him. But one of the main problems that I believe Peter had is that he didn't agree with the play. Have you ever heard a play called and you're like, why in the world are you calling that play, God? Or you're at work and someone gives direction and you're like, all right, we can do that, but why are we doing that? This is the reaction Peter had. See, Peter had a hard time of letting go of his idea of who Jesus was, which was this militant leader. And as a result, what did Peter do? He pulls his sword and he starts swinging Jesus' time comes, the time they told him about, when he would be arrested, when he would be killed. And Peter steps up and says, you know what? No one's going to touch you, Jesus. If you're not willing to step up, then I'm going to step up. And he draws his sword and he cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. See, Peter crossed the line. He disagreed with Jesus and he stepped into the role of savior that he was never meant to step into. That's why Jesus rebuked him. He's like, Peter, if I wanted to, I could call down. You have no idea how much power I could call down. This is not because I can't protect myself. This is because I love you. This is because I'm trying to reconcile humanity back to God. See, when we don't agree with the plan that God is doing, we're in a very dangerous spot because at that point, we can fall in the same trap that Peter did, stepping into that role of Savior. And let me tell you, you're a terrible Savior. 
I'm a terrible savior. My role is not a role of savior. Jesus is the savior, not me. But when we disagree, we allow ourselves to fall into that trap. And Jesus revealed to him, you want to stay out of that trap, Peter? Here's how you prepare. You pray. You pray. I think prayer is one of the most misunderstood things, especially for evangelicals. But for Christians, at least in, here in the Western world, you go to other parts of the world and you go to prayer meetings and you're almost, it's almost a culture shock for some people at times because you're like, what is happening here? See, we pray so that circumstances will change in our lives. But the whole purpose of prayer is that when we get before God and we pray, God is out to change us. We pray that things will change, but when we pray, God changes us. And now he moves us as agents in that situation. So in every situation when I'm praying, God is out to transform me. And do things things change in the physical? Yes, because the spiritual and the physical, they are connected. But God is out to change me. He's out to change you. He's out to change us and transform us. But it's only as we are willing to come before him in prayer. In prayer. And unless we get too critical of Peter and say, well, man, I would have never fallen asleep. I can tell you right now, I probably would have fallen asleep. As I walked into that garden, going through everything, receiving all the tests that Jesus is saying, here's what's going to happen, it's pretty exhausting. Have you ever been exhausted? If you haven't, you're going to be at some point. I can help you get exhausted if you want. You're going to be exhausted. And what Jesus is saying, you need to pray. You need to get before me. I love what Richard Foster says in his classic. He says, to pray is to change. And then he says this. He says that prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. See, prayer, when we have a life of prayer before God, where God is speaking to us and transforming us, it enables us to be in the moment when things happen because we're praying before we walk into it. We have this habit of prayer saying, God, flow in me today. Help me today. Strengthen me. Speak to me. We pray the prayer of David. Lord, reveal in me anything that offends you because I don't want anything to get in the way of me and you. I want to hear your voice. I want to walk in boldness and power. And it's that process of daily, moment by moment, being before the Lord in prayer so that when I stand in front of a situation, when I stand in front of somebody, I'm not having to take a few practice free throws. Can I hear God right now? But I've been listening to God. And we do the free throws, and I'm going, Jesus can do it. I can close my eyes and hit free throws when Jesus is with me. It's that attitude of prayer, walking with him. Because see, if we are not ready, we're going to do what Peter did, and we're going to return to what we used to do, or what we want to do. And we're going to start swinging swords. A lack of prayer in our life often results in a lack of transformation which wants us to go back to what we're safe to. And we do that all the time, don't we? We all have those things in our life. Those old habits that we go back to. And Jesus is saying, you need to prepare your heart. You need to be in prayer. You need to be getting your life ready, Peter. There's a plan for you. We need to stop playing around. We need to embrace how God is preparing us so that we can walk in his plan because Jesus has a plan. And his plan in all of this, you're going to be tested. And you're going to reject me. You're all going to scatter. But then you're going to repent and you're going to come back because Jesus' plan is that we would come back to him because with Jesus, failure is not the end. 
When Jesus is in the equation, failure can be the beginning to our reconciliation to God. That as we fall, as we find ourselves at the bottom of the pit, he's saying, when you look to me, look to me, I'll pull you out. Look to me, I will help you wherever you are. Whether you're living in a house or you're living in a car, wherever we are, if we look to Jesus and allow him to transform our lives, to transform my life. See, we focus on our failures. But when we focus on our failures, we're going to the plan that Satan has. Here's all the failures. He's going to rub them in our face. But see, Jesus focuses on our recovery. He's saying, meet me in Galilee. I'm going to rise and meet me in Galilee. This is what Jesus is saying to us. See, Jesus, he knew Peter. See, Peter, he was bold and courageous. Peter was the one who stood up for Jesus. Peter was the first one to act, first one to speak. Peter was the one when he didn't know what to say. He just made it up. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that Peter was fearful and flawed. That a lot of what Peter was doing, just making stuff up and just acting out, it came out of a lot of fear and a lot of insecurity. Do you ever battle with insecurity? In yourself, in your walk with God? This is the area that Jesus pours a lot into us. And I'll tell you, that's where Jesus pours a lot into me. Insecurity is one of the things that I pray for every day. Lord, help me. Let my strength be in you. Let my courage be in you. Let me hear your voice today. See, God is always planning for reconciliation. And for Peter, for all of his flaws, and remember, Peter told everybody about his flaws. Peter is the one who reminded about flaws that the other gospel writers didn't even talk about. See, Peter, he stayed in the process. Peter went from running away from the front line to leading the front line. Think about that. We would never pick the one who runs the furthest away from the front line, would we? We'd say they're a coward and we would start judging them, ridiculing them. But Jesus is saying, you're my rock. Get back here. Get back here. Let me walk in you. Let me be with you. But in order to do that, in order for Peter to discover the resurrection, there had to be a death. Just like Jesus had to die. There are things that we need to die to. And this is the question that I have for you this morning. For many of you, you're praying, Lord, there are things that I'm, I'm needing to walk through that I'm struggling with. When we're praying for a resurrection, God looks at us and says, are you willing to die? Are you willing to lose your life? One of my favorite scriptures is, for I'm crucified in Christ, and yet I live. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith. In Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. What is Jesus calling you to die to today? Is it an old habit? Is it a hurt? Is, is there something that you're holding on to? Is it a wrong idea about Jesus? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's stand. And if you have to, just close your eyes so that you're not distracted by anything. This is this. This response to the word of the Lord is so important. 
and just begin to ask Jesus, Jesus, what are you asking me to die to today? Is it fear? Is it insecurity? Lord, I pray that you would open our ears today, all of us. Lord, you're preparing us. And you're singling us out because you love us. You're not singling us out to destroy us. But you're singling us out to say, let me prepare, let me pour into you. But Lord, I know there are things in my life that need to die. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here today, the family. Reveal to us. And give us the courage and the strength to walk forward like the disciples did to meet you in Galilee. I pray. The worship team is going to lead us one more song. And as they do so, I want to invite you to respond. When the word of the Lord goes forth, it's important to respond. God's word is just sitting there. Your response today may be going to the communion stations. We have stations right here, right here. We have them up in the balcony. This was the last meal Jesus had with his disciples. And he said, I want you to remember every time you eat, every time you drink. It's a new covenant. It's a new day voice. Every time. My body that was broken for you so that you could be healed. My blood representing the new covenant. This little juice that we have. I invite you to go to the stations and just take the bread and just dip it in. And whatever it is, whatever you're saying, Lord, I want to die to myself today so that I might live. Just pray that prayer. And as an act of surrender, just receive that communion. We also have prayer walls. Go to the prayer walls and write down, Lord, get this out of my life. Fear, insecurity, doubt, whatever it is. Maybe it helps you to write it out. We also have prayer team members that are around. I'm going to invite our prayer team just to go around the edges today, both in the balcony as well as down below. Pray with somebody or turn to someone next to you. Say, would you pray with me about this? We, we need to speak it out. We need to speak it out. Let's respond to the word of the Lord today. Word of the Lord today. I'd like to invite all of our pastors to today, Pastor Harry, Pastor John, Pastor Paul, just to come forward. And I'm, I'm going to join down. And if you'd like for one of us to pray for you, we'd love to pray for you as we just gathered down here. Let's respond to the word of the Lord today. Let's allow him to do his work in us.